So I asked the question, how strongly do you believe with this, uh, agree with this statement? I'd rather clean a toilet than contact a manufacturer's customer support center via telephone. So 22% of people say that they strongly agree. 20% agree. So we're up to like 44% there. And 16 more percent somewhat agree. So we're over 50% of people would rather clean their toilet than call customer support. And we chuckle at that. But really, this means that customer support is not delivering. And so we ask, why? Why do you dislike customer support so much that you would rather clean the toilet? And the number one reason is long waiting times. 67% of people say that the time that they wait to get the answer, if they get the answer, is significantly longer than they're willing to put up with. You're listening to All Things Content from Avenue CX, delivering you cutting-edge insights into the past, present, and future of all topics related to content. Here's your host, Kevin Nichols. Hello, and welcome to All Things Content. I'm your host, Kevin P. Nichols, and today I am so excited to be joined by the esteemed, the um, incredible uh, Scott Abel. Um, Scott Abel's also known as the Content Wrangler, and he and I actually go way, way back. I've known him for years. He's going to be talking with us today about lessons that can be gleaned about the role of knowledge center content and helping to build exceptional customer experiences. Um, Just to give a really quick bio, and it's hard to give Scott Abel a really quick bio because there's so much to his uh, biography and to his contribution to the world of content and, and basically all things content. He is a content and digital strategist who helps companies improve the way that they author, maintain, and deliver information uh, to those who need it. He's also co-author of Intelligent Content, a Primer, and the the co-author of A Language of Content Strategy. I highly recommend it for anybody because it's such a phenomenal uh, resource of, of definitions of terms. He's also the content wrangler, as I've noted, and he has a content wrangler Bright Talk series. Uh, This series that he hosts has a viewership and an audienceship of over 63,000 folks. Uh, Today, Scott is chief, um, he's a content strategy evangelist, and he's working with Hereto, which is a CCMS, a componentized content management system technology firm. And he's helping make the connection of strategic initiatives with them uh, to and, and for other companies and, and content. So connection between strategic initiatives and content. Um, Scott, I could say so much more about you, and you're just obviously <laughs> an incredible person, and you've got such a huge contribution, I think, to this industry. Did I miss anything or anything that you'd like to highlight that I didn't say there? Oh, other than I'm a nightclub DJ and a... Uh... <laughs> And a music producer and a remixer, which is really my hobby more than anything. If I if I could do it full time, I would. That's about that's pretty good. Yes, and I will. Uh, he's actually I way back when I don't know if you remember this or not. You actually sent me some. Um, you sent me some uh, recordings of some of your DJing, and it's quite phenomenal, actually. So yes, you are quite talented in that respect as well. Um, so Scott, you and I go way back. Yes. And uh, you've had an interesting life and an interesting biography in this industry. I want to start with this, but where we dive into knowledge center content. Perfect. What is a content strategy evangelist and what does that entail exactly? So an evangelist is more of an advocate, somebody whose job it is to showcase possibilities. And so I see myself in the role of a content strategy evangelist as somebody who instigates the awareness 
of what's possible amongst people who don't hang out in the content space with us. Now, do I encounter lots of content people and have to sometimes educate them as well and, and learn from them as, as, as well? Yes, totally. But I think the challenge is getting out there and selling the value of having a strategy and starting with a business strategy, right? That's designed for your content. And if you can do that, you stand a, big, a better chance of success. Most survey data shows this, or the companies that are dissatisfied with their content production systems are not capable of doing what they wish they could be doing. Often it's because they do not start with a content strategy. And even if a strategist is involved, sometimes there's a lot of step skipping that introduces the possibility for complications that will mess up your content production instead of um, augment it and make it better. That's great. Um, and I love how you you worked into that, that it's actually for folks that don't necessarily have content backgrounds, but those that need to understand, you know, how, you know, content. It's kind impacts. of that problem that you don't know what you don't know. So if you're if you're a factory, a CEO of a factory, chances are pretty good that you know about components. If you make a physical item, they're made of smaller pieces, right? And we have to manage the inventory of those pieces and we have to know where they are, where they came from, how much they cost, how many do we have, do we have enough, what happens if they break, all these different things. And we eventually aim to make that process of producing those physical goods as streamlined as possible. We borrow from Japanese automobile manufacturing, JIT Kanban, kind of productivity and efficiency uh, um, procedures and best practices. And we, we also glean from agile development to try to get things done quicker and faster and kind of, you know, on the agile, uh, the agile mindset. And I don't think that there's any reason that information can't be created with the same discipline and governance using the same types of strategies, especially if you are on a continuous delivery and you're constantly tweaking your products, you need the ability to be able to do that. And thinking strategically about it means you have to know some things you probably don't know. And no, you do not need to know the, you know, the ins and outs of how all the systems work as a leader, but you might need to know that these systems can be connected together to deliver a better experience and that often the content part is left out. That's great. Uh, that's absolutely great. Um, and I think that's a good segue into what we want to talk to you about today. So um, today we want to talk about knowledge center content and its role yes. in uh, creating great customer experiences. Let's start with this, because I know what knowledge center content is, and sure. probably a lot of our audience does as well, but a lot of them probably don't know specifically what we mean by that. And that term does get thrown around out there. So how do you define the scope or, or what it means to say like knowledge center and then specifically knowledge center content? Yeah, I think this case, I'm talking about product information. Could you have different types of knowledge centers? Certainly. But today, I think our focus is on providing the consumer with the information that they need about a product in order for them to be successful at using it. Customer experience relies on success. If you're not successful at, at keeping your customer happy, they're unlikely to remain your customer and they may you know, go to somebody else, go to see the competition. And we don't want to do that, right? We want to dazzle our, our, our customers. We want to attract new ones by having the brand feeling that our current customers have be contagious in a good way, that they tell people how much they enjoy or they like working with this brand, not how much they hate it. And it turns out that the words knowledge center 
mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So just putting aside all the other content, let's just talk today about information about products. So that could be how you buy them, how you set them up, how they work, how to fix and troubleshoot problems, how to maintain and repair something, how to how to do anything you want to do right with a product. And it turns out that if you put them all together in one place, you can call it a knowledge center and you would be correct in, in labeling that way. But there's also synonyms for that. Depending upon where you live, it might be called a knowledge hub. For example, some European company, countries tend to adopt the hub word more than I've noticed in the United States. Mm-hmm. There's also just the simple words that people use. Support, customer service, customer mm-hmm. care, um, help, online help. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about helpful, useful information and bringing it all together in one place, kind of a portal where a, a consumer can learn everything they need to quickly about your product or service in a way that brings them less frustration than some of the typical traditional approaches we've used over the last couple of decades. We tend to have tried to, as companies, reduce the amount of money that we spend on support because it's expensive. And so the thought is move it all online into which we end up calling a knowledge center or something specific uh, like a help center. You can call it whatever you want, by the way, and there's no wrong answer. It just makes it difficult for people to talk about when we're using different vocabulary words to describe it. That's a really good explanation. And I love that you started with the product being the center of that definition. Um, You touched on a little bit about the different types of content that could live within that. Um, Anywhere from how to buy a product to how to support a product. Let's get a little bit more specific. Can you give us some of the customer needs it helps? uh, It helps address to stand the customer up for success. And what are some of the problems that Knowledge Center content can solve when done effectively? So so there are some simple problems that you can identify if you spend some time with customer support teams. So customer support teams on this call today, I'm defining as the people who produce the experience that you get when you call into a call center and you say, I have a problem with my product. I can't Mm -hmm. find this information. I can't fix this problem. I have an error. Um, Something is prohibiting you from getting to the goal, which is enjoying the capability of the tool or the product you bought. And so the knowledge center is where we put everything But the tradition has been that we call a support center and support personnel access a knowledge center, and then they try to find the answer for you on the telephone. But many Mm -hmm. consumers do not like that model because it introduces a lot of frustration uh, in the experience. And we're trying to not build another irritating experience when we build a knowledge hub or a knowledge center online. We're trying Mm -hmm. to take away the friction that happens when people call customer support. And there are decades of surveys where the evidence is clear. People do not like to call support. And there's a myriad of reasons which we can cover if you'd like. Yeah, that's really good. And I like that, um, you know, how you, 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 um, you know, you go there about the customer support and that is actually fueled with content too. I mean, customer support call centers, even if it's a person or individual on the, on the phone that you're speaking to, they're getting a script and that should be controlled by your content and your knowledge center content uh, solutions. Correct. It's interesting that 
during COVID-19 and sort of the shelter in place, you know, everybody had to really emphasize self-service content. And this is oftentimes self-service content and content that could be made available to customers so the customer could get it digitally um, as opposed to necessarily calling because you might not have a call center that's even there if the people are all remote, especially in the beginning of of COVID-19 and shelter in place. Uh, What do you think is important um, and what's working today in 2023 for self-service content and for brands in terms of how they position this content? Well, first, I think you're right. The pandemic allowed us an opportunity to shift to self-service models, whether we were ready for that before the pandemic or not. It was kind of a necessity to make an attempt. And so those attempts were pretty good. Technology vendors rushed to try to help us, right? Other people tried to uh, turn that opportunity into a business model so that they could help companies uh, grow and provide better self-service. But the reality is there's some sloppy, shady work going on there. You know, what passes as a what passes as a decent experience nowadays is it's often mediocre and customers and consumers alike, you know, people who have purchased your products or people who are prospective customers don't enjoy a lot of the um, incidental experiences that they have to go through in order to self-serve. And part of it is that they have a negative uh, reaction to the words calling support. I did a survey of a thousand consumers in the United States, ages 18 to 65, who work for a living either part or full time. Those were the only criteria. And what I learned was 87% of those people completed this statement this way. When confronted with a challenge using a product, my first preference is to attempt to resolve the issue on my own. So the way more than half, almost 90% of people want to solve it on their own. So they have a desire to self-serve. Um, and then there's maybe 13%. They actually prefer to ask for help from others. So now we have two audience segments we know about that we need to serve. People who do not want to necessarily have our help and then people who do. So we need to provide content for both of those groups of people, first of all. And then second of all, we have to learn why people don't like to call support. So we ask the question, how strongly do you agree with the following statement? When practical, I look for ways to locate product information I need without contacting the product manufacturer's telephone customer support center. And if you add up strongly agree, agree, and somewhat agree, you will get about, let's see, 50, 80, almost 90 some percent again agree that they would prefer not to use the customer call center. So if the customer call center is a convenience that we as companies try to provide to our customers, but customers are telling us, I don't like what you're providing me, it's not my first option, then intellectually we start to think, well, maybe we could put everything on the web and we could let them find it themselves. Right. But it's the finding that's the problem, right? So the experience is that people don't actually seek to spend their time finding information, I mean, to search for it, they want you to deliver them the answer, right? So the find is the short part. They want a quick search that yields a find, and they want to be able to do it without all the negative connotations that come along with calling a customer support center. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you actually did this survey recently, correct, on um, customer call centers. Is there anything else that you would like to speak to about that survey for the show before we dive into the next question? I think so. Um, we also ask a question, which is a s- seemingly kind of a, um, 
I don't even know what the right word is for it. Um, it it's, it's a little hi hyperbolic, I guess, but it's a common question that's been asked over time. We're not the first company to ever ask this question. So I asked the question, I'd rather clean, um, how strongly do you believe with this, uh, agree with this statement? I'd rather clean a toilet than contact the manufacturer's customer support center <laughs> via telephone. So 22% of people say that they strongly agree. 20% agree. So we're up to like 44% there. And 16 more percent somewhat agree. So we're over 50% of people would rather clean their toilet than call customer support. <laughs> and we chuckle at that. But really, this means that customer support is not delivering. And so we ask, why? Why do you dislike customer support so much that you would rather clean the toilet? And the number one reason is long waiting times. 67% of people say that the time that they wait to get the answer, if they get the answer, is significantly longer than they're willing to put up with. The second most common is about 50% of people say that they can't stand navigating automated interactive telephone systems like the voice response push one, push two systems because they're not helpful and they often produce errors or disconnect them or route them to the wrong person. It's true. And then unhelpful representatives. So people who are working the call center are sometimes deemed as unhelpful. Now, it's important that we're not saying that the people that work there are rude or bad in any way. We're just saying that the result that they're producing is usually not as helpful as the survey respondents would like. So that that's really important for us to know. So then if you're going to say, okay, our support center isn't the best, let's try to leverage this online digital hub that Scott calls a knowledge center or online help. And so we had to ask customers, um, how do you, how strongly do you agree with this statement? I am unlikely to return to a manufacturer's customer support website if it's difficult for me to quickly and easily find the information that I need. And so when you add up all the agrees, it's about 80% of people agree that this is the main purpose is to get there and get out. They don't want a story. They don't want a relationship. They're not trying to do any of that to find an answer to a question and they want to get in and out fast and they reward the brands with loyalty who help them accomplish those goals without introducing additional friction. Yeah. And I would say too, there are brands out there that do customer call centers well. And I think that those totally. tend to get rewarded as well. Like the ones that are doing it well are going to be rewarded because people are going to, you know, see the value cool. of that. And it's also important to know that some of the people that are doing it well inside of some of the corporations and organizations that you just referred to, they are not always able to talk about what they do and how they do it. And mm -hmm. so they may not be running around saying, we want an award for best customer service or customer support uh, because they don't want undue attention paid to how they're doing it. For example, right. notorious computing companies who you will not see at a conference talking about how they produce their knowledge center. And yet they are in the top ranks of every category, revenue generation, customers, innovation, mm -hmm. and, support, and, and experience. They get top-notch ratings and all those things. So it may just be that those companies are more mature and they understand why they need to invest in the things to make this happen. A lot of, it, of, of the obstacles are not people, not, it's not that companies don't want to do a good job. It's that they do not invest in doing it the way that provides them the most adaptability or the most flexibility. And so they get stuck in the mode of communication that they, you know, invested in 
however many years ago, and they don't have the easy ability to switch and change. So they're not able to innovate as quickly because they're stuck doing things the hard way. Well, let's talk a little bit about getting it right. Like what, what does help them get it right? Like how do you get the knowledge center content right in 2023, um, given everything that you're talking about here? Like, and you, yeah, I mean, see? you can tackle that from a variety of vantage points, right? You can look at it from the customer facing. We need to choose the right words. We need to be respectful with our language. We need to make content that's interesting and helpful, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that all aside, you also have to, which is, those are all things that you do for people, by the way, but you also have to do a lot of things to your content for machines in order for machines to deliver the experience and for that experience to be better than the, um, I'd rather clean a toilet experience of calling customer support. So if you're eventually going to fail online, your fallback is support to have somebody call support so they can have two negative experiences. So the important thing to do is to be able to invest in managing your content in a way that makes it possible to deliver it to multiple channels. And the best way to do that is to break it up into little chunks that we call components and write that content to a standard that tools support. And those tools can then grab those answers and with the help of metadata and taxonomy, they can deliver the right piece to the right person based on things you know about that person or people mm-hmm. like them. You talk a lot about this on your uh, talk show uh, where you talk about personalization. And we talk a lot about that in the knowledge center space. People don't want to be dropped on a knowledge center and treated like everybody else. They want you to at least respect who they are and what they do. So a good knowledge center today should have a profile that allows the company to match things in their profile about the, with the content, right? So if you know about your content and who it was written for, you can then serve that piece up to the right people. But it involves a lot of behind the scenes work that some companies have not invested in, but the ones who had been doing this for several years, they're way ahead of everybody else. They're ready for they are. They're ready for all kinds of different um, configurations. They can port their content out. They can deliver it inside of their product because they haven't hard-coded everything into an authoring system, like a help authoring tool. Instead, they've created independently little modules of content that can be read by different programs and understood by machines. And so we can take our people rules, what we know about the people and what we want their experience to be, and we can map those across their customer journey to the pieces of content that are relevant for that person at that time of the journey. And you're speaking so much of my, (laughs) so much of my utopia and my language. I love it. I mean, I think too, the best ones, like you said, you go into them and they know what product you previously purchased. They probably even know what the support they've given you in the past. And so then it really is a matter of them serving your needs that are going to be specific to like what it is that you actually need. Right. And and I don't want to dis. The, the, the sites that aren't able to do that yet. What right. I'd like to suggest is that investing in structuring your content and doing the things that make your content intelligent means that the content contains additional information that machines can use to process it. When I say process, it might be to deliver that piece of content at a certain time to a specific group of people, but not to other people. 
So we're, our goal is to produce individualized experiences. Maybe they're not 100% personalized today, right? Maybe we know that your what role you play at your company and that the product that we sold you, your role uses that product in a very specific way that other people who, you, who work in different roles do not. And so I shouldn't force you to read about a feature that you're not going to use for your role. I should serve up only the features, the information about the features that you might um, be encountering mm-hmm. when you use our product. And so I think that's one of the things that a lot of customer satisfaction people care about, where, whereas you heard me say customer satisfaction, not content people. So customer satisfaction people want customers to be happy. They don't want them to feel overwhelmed or frustrated or confused. So they want the content to be good. And they may indeed be a good partner for the content people. If you could partner with the customer satisfaction team, you can probably get resources to start moving down the line and creating a unified customer experience for everyone who interacts with your products. Absolutely. And one thing I've advocated for now for the last few years is for technical documentation, because a lot of this is tech docs um, or product information teams to affiliate themselves with customer experience, because you're absolutely right. Customer experience teams understand the importance of this content and how it is so important and vital for the customer satisfaction and for retention of customers and loyalty of customers. Um, And so if they can align with those customer experience and customer satisfaction folks, um, they can get more visibility and they can show how their content can help move that needle and help, you know, increase CSAT scores or net performance scores or all those types of things. Kevin, there's so many benefits to this and, and, and you get incidental benefit too. So for example, when you structure your information, you give it semantic value, you may by 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 doing that, you may inadvertently also create other benefits for yourself. Maybe your content becomes more accessible to people who have uh, challenges accessing your content. Maybe that content can now be read aloud by a machine, right? Which means that the answers can be verbal, which means if I can't see, I can talk to my machine and the machine can talk back to me. And that sure, machines can talk a little bit, but machines can say things when they're programmed to or when they're given the information that's more valuable than if you just randomly make, you know, make the content available. So speaking about availability, the survey also uncovered that most folks want the content on the site to be easy to find. So 50% of people say that the content today, the way that it exists on the sites that they encounter, are somewhat easy, easy, or very easy. So about 50% of people think it's somewhere on that scale of the easy. And the rest of them think that it's either not easy to find, somewhat difficult to find, or very difficult to find. And that group of people, even though they're smaller, it's like 40-some percent, that group of people now may have a reason to have to call your support team. And we know that 90% of the people do not want to do that. So that in that 40% of people who are stuck, it's usually because of not something that we're talking about already. It's usually something like inconsistent terminology. So they 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 hear something from your brand here, and then over here they hear something different. A great example is an insurance company website. So to file a claim uh, for a medical insurance, you may have to read some instructions. And in the instructions, it may say, enter your, your um, member ID number. And then you see a little piece of content next to it, some uh, micro content that says, uh, where do I find where do I find that number? And then it tells you, look on your insurance card. 
So now the customer has their insurance card and they realize that there's a policy number and a group number and a, and a customer number, but not the number that was asked for on the web page. So now they don't know, is this number the same number as that number? And they, they start to fill out the form and the form gives them an error. And then because people have history with forms flagging errors, they know if they enter in something too many times, they're usually asked to restart again and like put a brand new password in. They get they get hit by cybersecurity, you know, things thinking somebody's trying to break into their account. So what they really want is an easy way to get the answer that's super fast. That is the answer that they need and not a lot of extra muck. Yeah. And I think that is so important. I mean, it gets into the next question I have, which is around self-service. Um, so I'm seeing across the board, like, all, like so many of my clients are like, case deflection is one of our number one business priorities. And I usually ask them, why is that? Because um, what what's the value there? Is it just to save money or are you actually looking at how it's going to impact the customer experience overall? But there has been this move uh, to provide self-service. And in some companies, if not many, it's almost seen as an option to replace human-powered uh, support centers, which in my opinion is not what should necessarily yeah. happen. Um, and some companies can believe they can offer all their knowledge experience online sure. and, and have that be the case. But it is a bit of a myth that if you put all the content online, that you're going to not only lower costs for support, but that they will come, you know, you build it and they will right. come. Right. How do you speak to this? I think you're right about that. The, 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 the point I'm trying to make is that amongst the people who do not want to call support, who say that they want to help themselves, they're going to search for an answer and you want to be the one that provides it. Right. There are many places to get answers competing, by the way, with your resource center, with your knowledge center, with your help materials. There are external people doing it. There are, you know, well-intentioned people on YouTube who are trying to teach people how to use products. But you want to get the answer that comes from your brand to your customers or your prospective customers. And in order to do that, we have to jump through a few content hoops. We need to be able to have structured information. We need to be able to have it be machine processable. We need to be able to deliver it in, in different places where our customer may be traveling. Maybe they stop by our website, but then they go into our product. Maybe it's an online product and, and that takes a different um, approach as well. But I think that putting everything in one place, which was your point, is not always the best idea. I mean, maybe your product isn't very complicated. And if it's not, maybe you could explain it with very simple documentation, a very simple video, and it's, it's easy to use and it's you know unlikely to fail. It doesn't have a lot of moving parts or whatever. But when you have a complex system, especially systems that can be configured, that means you can't write one set of documentation for every scenario for every person. You have to be able to say, oh, wow, if, you, if you've made our product do these things and you set it up this way, these are the instructions you need based on how you set up our product. So the more complicated a product is, the more variables there are, the more chances there are for the, 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 the problems to arise. You need your content to be adaptable and flexible, and it needs to move around with people. What we didn't discover in the survey because we didn't ask these questions was how many channels do people use? But there's a lot of research out there about that. And you can find that some people will jump around from three or four channels and they expect you to be able to remember where they were in the same way that Netflix remembers what you were watching and when you stopped the program, where you left off. 
So bringing people into the equation may not make sense if you sell a product that costs $3 and it's available at big lots, right? Maybe it's cheaper to just throw it away and buy another one than waste 30 minutes on the phone trying to figure out a problem. But putting them all into one place is great for a number of reasons. First of all, your internal staff can access that content too. So they may be asked by a customer or a prospective customer, how does this work? Does your software do this? Does your product do this? What happens if I need to clean my lawnmower? <laughs> and if your internal staff can also get to that information, they can answer questions amongst new employees, right? There's always a new employee who doesn't understand your product or service. They're, they're there to work and learn about it. You need to equip them. Salespeople need to be taught. So my point is putting it all together allows you to then tag that information as appropriate or not appropriate for different audiences. And you may find that you've built this big knowledge center that part of the information can be shared with everyone that accesses it. Part of it only goes to certain people because of their role or their location or some other factor. And that allows you to give the appearance of pre presenting a personalized experience, which is what people really want and they reward brands for. Yeah. And I think it also depends on the industry. Like I know a lot of the financial services, like investment brokerages, for example, um, their customer support is always flagged as like the top, like in, you know, and um, oftentimes, like I know, for example, throughout the years, if I called and wanted to have a question about my 401k and how do I do this versus this, or even on sure. day trading, if I wanted to call and say, okay, what is this type of trade? And why would I like, you know, and the, because you get a level of confidence in talking to somebody and if that person knows what they're talking about and shows that they actually understand <laughs> the question. And I, and I think um, you were trying to, I'm sorry to over talk you, but I think for a minute you were trying to make a point about the people and the machines and the information work together sometimes and that the best situation isn't yes. always tuck it all online and kill off your support. Maybe right. you have a level of support that you route certain customers to for certain reasons. For example, right. some companies actually segregate their customer base and they may provide a lower level or lower tier of support and they push those people to a call center where the people may or may not be as knowledgeable about everything about the product. And then maybe they're more uh, profitable customers that they, they pay a lot more money uh, they've received a lot more revenue from, maybe they get routed to a personal concierge kind of thing. It's a, no different than an investment banker, right? It's a concierge banker. And if you have a, a $10 million in an account versus $110, you're going to get a different experience. Yeah. And I think that that's, yeah, I think that there are companies that triage in that particular way. And I don't think that that's a, I think that that can work, you know, if it's yeah. done effectively. Um I think, you know, you were both saying that customer support call centers are important, but they need to be fueled with the right content and they need to be augmented with content that is around them to help self-service, yeah. you know. And, and let me also point out that there were some surprises in the data. I do not have the patience that some of our survey respondents have. I asked the question, typically, how many minutes are you willing to interact with a telephone customer support agent to find answers before you give up and search elsewhere. Uh, mine is like three minutes. Like I, I can get, I can gather whether I'm going to get an answer from this person or not very quickly based on previous experiences, right, with support. And so I'll ask to be transferred to a higher level of support, or I'll just give up. Well, it turns out that consumers, and there were there were like almost 500 people who answered this particular question, and the average was 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Okay, so think about it a different way. Forget about, <laughs> right, forget about the fact that they have 27 minutes more of tolerance than I do. 
but instead take 30 minutes and multiply it times what it costs per minute to call support and how many times a day people call. And the fact that an agent is going to be hogged up for as many as 30 minutes, even though some people will stay longer and some people will stay shorter, mm -hmm. willingness to stay on because they really want to solve the problem. So it's not that they hate support. They just hate the bad things that come along with it. And if you if you can erase the friction and limit it by moving stuff online and then combining that with the human touch of a support agent or an online chat agent who can add some context and make the experience even better, then great. But if not, it's kind of a noise for a lot of people. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, I kind of want to end cap this with what you see as the primary challenges around this type of content, as well as the opportunities. Um, where do you think... Uh, you know, what are the challenges and what also do you think are the greatest opportunities as we look ahead? I think the biggest or challenge is people don't know what's possible. They don't know that you can produce standardized content. You can have it in a repository. You can assign rules to it and the machine can understand machines being computers can understand those rules and they can deliver that content on demand wherever it needs to be delivered. But mm -hmm. in order to do that, you have to do some preparation to, to your existing content, and then you have to make changes to the way you're going to make your future content. And those things are um, human. Humans don't like to, they're, they're, they're sometimes... They're sometimes not willing to invest in change if they don't have to. So right. there's a change management issue there. And that's really the biggest problem with getting it to work. But the opportunities are huge. If you can um, divorce your content from its formatting and have it exist on its own and have rules deliver it and format it on demand, you can serve that content up in the chatbot. You can serve it up in, in a voice system. You can serve it up online. You can serve it up inside the product itself. Some medical devices and other uh, consumer electronics devices have screens on them, right? And you can actually serve up an error message or some helpful information that comes from the same place that you manage all of your technical product information. And if you unify that and then present it in a unified knowledge center online, you only have to manage that one experience. Customers yep. don't have to jump around from a training website to a support website, to a community website, to your marketing website. They can go to one place to get information about a product. They can build a profile. And the opportunities for us as publishers is that we're gonna learn more about the people who are like those people. And we're gonna be able to create better experiences from learning from the data we collect about them and their success. And you can keep it on brand. You can keep it, you know, yeah. uh, relative to the customer experience, which we know is so, so important. Yeah, I love that. And there's tons um, of benefits that are not really about support. When you start to wrangle your content in a really professional, advanced way, you create intelligent content, semantically rich, small pieces of content that your system understands. You can start to do other things with it as well. You can run data reports on it. You can sort it and filter it. You can do things that I might not know you need to do. But mm -hmm. because you've invested in the content and not just how writers create words, but how it's structured and how machines understand it, you'll get benefits in localization and translation, reduce costs. You can get benefits in better understanding and less incongruity, less risk in, in highly compliant um, regulated industries. We need that compliance to be at 100% or close, right? Absolutely. You don't want to deviate. Any deviate opens up a risk. So you can reduce risks when you do this too.
I love it. This has been phenomenal. And I'm so glad that you came on because I think you touched on so many topics, including intelligent content solutions, which you were getting at towards the end, but also have uh, peppered that sort of logic and that that notion into the, the discussion here. Scott, thank you so much for making the time to be with me. It's always a pleasure. And you have such extensive knowledge of uh, so many things regarding content, but I know that you're an expert in a lot of the things that we are talking about here today. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What I'd like to encourage the audience just with one thing, know that it's not just me talking about this, even right. award competitions, like there's an award called the Cody Awards put on by the Software Information Industry Association every year. It's the 38th annual awards. And they used to kind of focus only on vertical markets. So they're awarding a best, best consumer electronics website, right? So their categories, best grocery, best, best hardware, best banking. But now we've introduced a category called best knowledge center help site. And so we're starting to scrutinize the help sites and then give recognition to the companies that are doing a good job so we can encourage other companies to mimic that approach and provide better experiences for everyone. Absolutely. And again, my prediction is, is that help support knowledge center content, all of the self-service, these are all going to be like elevated to even more importance in the next few years as yeah. customer experience is recognizing that this content is critical to a success. So thank you so much, Scott. I just want to have one last question, which is how can folks, I mean, I know how to follow you. you sure. A lot of people know how to follow you. How do they follow you? <laughs> okay. So on LinkedIn, you can find me at Scott Abel. So you can just search for Scott Abel, the content wrangler, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. The same is true on Twitter. There is a, a robust network uh, of webinars that I've recorded on brighttalk.com. So B-R-I-G-H-T-T-A-L-K.com. Search for the Content Wrangler channel and you'll be able to find access to over 651 hour recorded sessions of interviews with people like Kevin and case studies from companies that are doing this kind of work, along with discussions with panelists about what might happen in the future and what happens if we get it wrong. So you can learn best practices as well as some lessons from people who have made mistakes and it's all free content. So I uh, encourage you to do that. Thank you so much, Scott. It's Scott Abel, um, two books out there, Intelligent Content, A Primer and The Language of Content Strategy, both of which I would highly recommend. And of course, definitely tune into his shows on Bright Talk. Thanks again for being here today, Scott. I'm Kevin P. Nichols. You're listening to All Things Content. And until next time, be well, stay well, and good luck with uh, improving and uh, experiencing effective content solutions. Thanks, Kevin. That was All Things Content with Kevin Nichols. Thanks for listening. Remember to leave a like and a comment if you're watching on YouTube, a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, or a follow if you're listening on Spotify. You can connect with Kevin on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at KP Nichols. You can also connect with his company by following Avenue CX on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook at Avenue CX. All Things Content with Kevin Nichols is a production of Kevin P. Nichols and Avenue CX. Thanks again for listening.